We are near the end of our journey in the book of Philippians, doing the study now for a few months. We're in chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to that section of God's Word, Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, as I read God's Word. Listen carefully. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. One of the most often misused verses in the Bible is Proverbs 23, 7. Do you know what that verse says? Well, often it's, it's, it's used from the King James Version. And the King James reads as follows. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. It's misused because most people take that verse and apply it in a myriad of ways. And none of them are about the specific context of Proverbs 23, verse 7. If you go back and read Proverbs 23 this afternoon, some of you, maybe look at your iPads or iPhones, you're doing it right now. Um, the context of Proverbs 23 is about how to deal with a stingy man and how he constantly is counting the costs. So as a stingy man thinketh, so as he does, he counts the costs, so is he that man, that stingy man that you've got to deal with. And so in some sense, that context and that verse has nothing to do with what this sermon is today. So why bring it up? Well, I bring it up because though the context and the passage of Proverbs 23.7 has specifically nothing to do with what I believe Paul is addressing here in our passage of Philippians 4, by principle, I think we do gain something from Proverbs 23.7. And that is that how we think and how we live are not separate. How we think and how we live go hand in hand. They're very much interconnected. And how we think and how we live our life is very much what Paul is addressing in Philippians 4. Thus, the message is entitled, A Surrendered Thought and Life. Paul is addressing the Philippians as an encouragement. Remember, we've said all along this entire letter, he's not just coming down on the brothers and sisters in Philippi with a heavy hammer of rebuke and chastisement. He is coming alongside with tremendous encouragement about what they are doing, how they are living their life in Christ, how they are yielding themselves and following the Lord, and yet continuing to remind them of those areas that could easily be neglected, that need to be reminded and shown again where and how they're following the Lord as a body of believers. And so, this very morning, we are now at the place in Philippians 4, 8, and 9, where Paul is reminding them how vital their thought life is and how vitally connected 
their daily activity and practices are connected to what is going on in their mind and heart together. And calling them to really surrender. Surrender their mind and their heart, their hands and their feet, their life, their daily activities to the Lord as he sees them doing and reminds and encourages them to continue in that trajectory. First, surrendering, surrendering the thoughts. Our thoughts, the thoughts of the Philippian believers there in the church, Paul says in verse 8, Brothers and sisters, and then he goes through six descriptors, six different descriptions of how and what is so vital in how we go about thinking thoughts daily. First, he begins with whatever is true. Whatever's true. You know, today in our world, there's now more than ever a need for the church to stand and to understand first what truth is. What is truth? Not just simply stating, well, the Bible's truth. It is truth. It's God's truth. But truly breaking that down, going deeper than just that one statement, understanding how it is true, why it is true, and how it is to impact our life because of how true it is and what it means for what choices we daily make. Our world today is so relativistic. It's moving constantly. There's no fixed point of absolute truth. And it's been growing ever since I was raised in this country, and it's just now at a greater pace. That relativism and what you think is fine, what I think is fine, if they are exact opposites of what you say and I say, we both can still have the same thought and they both can coexist just fine even though they are exact opposites. And be and willing to live in a, a culture where contradiction is fine. One's personal and public life, maybe being contradictory, is perfectly fine. Saying and living, saying one thing, living something different is perfectly acceptable. Um, we have more and more the need for absolute truth. Truth that comes from a God that is real and is powerful in his truth. Maybe you've heard of a man named Ravi Zacharias. He's a well-known apologist. Um, written many books, but one thing recently I heard him say was the single most important question any human being can ask is the question, what is truth? Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you've never really been challenged to ask that question for your own mind and your own heart where you stand this very morning. What is truth to you? What is really true to you? Because hopefully you would not place your trust, your belief, your investment of who you are into anything that would not be true, be accurate, be very much true and real, at least from your own perception. To do so would make absolute no sense. And so, asking ourselves what is truth, whatever is true, Paul says. Ephesians 1, Paul writes, 
to those in Ephesus, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of what? Of truth, the gospel of your salvation. See, the gospel is God's perfect truth. His extended grace to us is his truth. Ephesians 6, therefore put on all the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Recently, the movie, I think, Superman came out. A new rendering of it, a new version of Superman. You know, he has that belt that he wears, the famous belt that Superman wears. The belt of truth is way beyond any comic book figure. The belt of truth that God gives us, his very word, we absolutely are encompassed by it. It provides all that we need to gird ourselves up in difficult environments, places where we need God's truth to shine that light, to give us that clarity of what it means to follow him, to yield ourselves to what he has called, to what he has said. <clears throat> Jesus himself says, has said in the gospels that he told the disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus himself is, is truth embodied in the flesh. Recently, uh, we as a church staff have encouraged even some of you to uh, provide, and we continue to do so, thoughts and uh, ideas on links and articles and blogs. We've started a new section on our website called Think. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to go there this afternoon and click on the link for Think on our church website. You'll be able to see at least a few starting articles, blogs, things that have been written that we hope will challenge your thinking about the gospel, challenge your understanding of what it means to follow and yield ourselves to Christ. And so, continue to challenge what is truth and how we think based on even what Paul is saying in our passage. Whatever is true, whatever is true, we really do have the need to have God's truth as the fixed point from which we move each and every day. Paul then in the second adjective says whatever is noble. Whatever is noble, it means whatever is honorable the manner in how we treat others, conduct our lives. It's very important, whatever is honorable. Titus 2 reminds the church these important thoughts. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but teach what is good. Right there, worthy of respect, teach the older men to be reverent in the way they live. We need to have a life that is a life that someone could see that life and say, that life is a life that is worshiping God. It is a life that is absolutely desiring to worship God daily and how that person 
walks, thinks, how they speak, how they act towards others. Their life is honorable to the Lord. Not honorable so that I gain honor, but honorable to the Lord. Worthy of not respect for myself, but worthy that God would be seen as the one who lives in my own life. Paul reminds the Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is honorable or noble. Thirdly, he says, whatever is right, whatever is right. Now, Paul's not saying whatever is right as in, again, kind of the truth thing, what is right versus what is wrong. When he says, think on whatever is right, he's really saying, think on whatever is just. Whatever is just, righteous, just, justice. Colossians 4, masters provide for your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. All throughout the scriptures, we see a call to justice. Micah 6, what does the Lord require of us? To love justice, to act mercifully. We are to seek after and to love to see justice happen. For, for situations where things are unjust, that God would make them just. That is what should come from those who follow Christ. To see that in our daily experiences. Some of you are employers. Some of you are managers in your companies. Some of you are in positions where within the place that you work, there are people who are, in a sense, looking to you for leadership, looking to you for your decisions, looking to you for how you live and how you make decisions that affect them daily in the, in the workplace environment. Some of you are not in a position where those around you are under your leadership. Pretty much you're in a position where everyone is either equal to or above you in your work. Either way, even if you're in a position where everyone is alongside of you, so to speak, in the structure of your work, or if someone is looking up to you in leadership, we are all, all called to seek to see just things happen to one another. As managers, as coworkers, as employers, we have to ask ourselves the question, are my actions and decisions that affect those around me fair and just? Now, you might make decisions that are fair and just, and then you seem to get no response for that effort to those around you, especially even at work. You might make a decision that you think is honorable to the Lord, and no one cares at all. You try to make the effort to honor the Lord with your decisions at work, to honor the Lord with how you go about your business, and yet it seems that sometimes your efforts are falling on deaf ears, that people seem to make decisions in the opposite way from the way you make decisions, and they're going about business for their own personal gain and glory. And yet God says, Seek justice. Seek what is right. Trust me. I will take care of any and every situation. Whatever is right, whatever is just. 
You know, a few months ago, I mentioned there was a guy who came uh, with a day laborer crew. They were, uh, I had some pine straw situation. I need several bales. And so these guys had a great price and they came and unloaded about 100 bales of pine straw at my house. And so uh, as they did so, um, I mentioned I had something else I needed kind of some work on. And so they, this guy said, well, I certainly can do that. And so as soon as he jumped off the truck, the rest of the crew of five guys drove away. And I said, um, where did everybody else go? He goes, oh, they do this to me all the time. I go, do what? He goes, leave me to do most of the work. They'll be back in a few hours. I said, really? And so we began to talk, and over two hours, I got to know this man. And as I got to know him, how hard it must be to live in his shoes, to go as a day laborer and to live being unjustly treated by the kind of the, the crew boss. And this guy... I got to meet him and talk to him for a little while too when he came back. And he really was not a pleasant person. How unjust he was treating one who worked for him. And so I did everything I could to share God's grace with that man, to extend resources and things to him. And he was encouraged when he left that evening about nine o'clock in the dark. But he was encouraged and he knew that Jesus was real. You know, we have opportunities daily. When you see an injustice take place, maybe it's in your schoolroom. Maybe it's at lunch at school. Maybe it's with a, a dorm mate. Or maybe it's with someone on the soccer team or the football team or, or wherever you may, some club you belong to at school or wherever you are. When you see an injustice take place, are you willing to step into that situation and struggle and seek by all of God's means in you for him to use you to redeem that situation, even at the cost of your own reputation. Are you willing to do that? Jesus says, I call you to do that. If something is unjust and you know it's unjust, we're called to step into it. We're called to trust God and to move into that messy situation and just trust God with how he's going to redeem it. You may not have all the answers. You might be scared straight on what's going to happen, but you're called to step and to let God do his work. Trust him with what he's going to do. Whatever is just, Paul says. Whatever, fourthly, is pure. Whatever is pure, Think on these things. The Philippians, with their background, understand where, where they are and how they are living in existence as a church, were constantly bombarded, were tempted every day with that which was greatly morally impure. Very much spiritually and morally impure, tempted with great things. 1 John chapter 3 the apostle writes, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Just as he is pure, we're called to purify ourselves. Now, we will not ever be perfectly pure on this side of eternity. We know that. Until we are glorified with him one day in glory, we will not be perfectly morally pure. It won't happen, and yet we're called to move towards spiritual purity, 
spiritual, trusting God for that which he has called us to in our lives. You know, what you and I allow for our eyes to view and to see and our ears to hear, it matters a lot to your heart and your soul. What goes through these two corneas and into your brain is connected to your heart and your soul. It is absolutely connected. What comes in your ears and into your brain is connected to your heart and soul. And so whatever you choose, because it's your choice to expose whatever you see and whatever you hear is directly going to either benefit or detract from Christ in you, your walk with him, your relationship with him. It's just the way we are designed. God made us that way, completely interconnected. What we allow our eyes to see and ears to hear matters to the health of our very soul. Psalm 119, 37 says, Turn my eyes, the psalmist writes, away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to, you, to your word. The internet, movies, television, all these things, many more things we have at our fingertips within a second. Issues of pornography and all other types of issues that we are faced with and are there accessible, it is unrelenting. It is continuously, nonstop, 24-7, 365 days a year. All these things are areas of opportunity for believers to allow many things to influence their thinking and their understanding of what truth and what purity is all about. And it is a tremendous challenge today, not outside the church, but also inside the church, where we allow our eyes to go and allow our ears to hear. Men and women, do you have someone in your life that knows your habits and what you allow your eyes to see and your ears to hear? Does someone know your most private things you see and things you hear. If not, I challenge you, encourage you, exhort you to consider having others in your life that will help you, will help hold you accountable, will help encourage you. Again, not to play moral police in your life. That's not going to work. But it but to be there as your encouragers, to remind you just how wonderful and vital it is to expose your mind, expose yourself to all things that are pure, uplifting for your walk with the Lord. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, the fifth descriptor, whatever is lovely. This word occurs itself, lovely, only this once in the New Testament. This is this word only one time do we see. But it was used often outside of Scripture, oddly enough, in epitaphs outside of the Word of God. Basically, what it says is that whatever is pleasing and whatever evokes love from God that we know of, 
Think on these things. Whatever is pleasing invokes the love from God. You know, we uh, had a chance on our mission trip to Cherokee, North Carolina, of course, to drive up into that beautiful area of the country. And as we were driving, and actually the home that we were helping build was on top of a mountain, right, right on top. And when you looked around, several of us were there helping build this home. And we would look around, and through the trees that were closest to this construction site, you could see the mountain ranges. And in a terrible way, we said, if I could just cut down those trees right there. Because, you know, what an incredible view this kitchen would have or this bedroom would have. Just looking at the amazing views that this one who would have this home would receive once they were in this home. Just seeing what God created. We took a trip down this river. Uh, it had rained the day before and the water was quite swift. And so we all jumped in some tubes and went down the river one afternoon just to cool off and enjoy ourselves. It was amazing. Just looking at God's creation floating down that river. We tried to get out to stop the current to wait for the group to catch up with those in the lead. And the water was about this high, almost up to the waist. Very swift, pushing against. And we're just trying to hold our, our place. By within 60 seconds, your legs were absolutely numb because the water was just so frigid. But it was so wonderful in a different weird way just to be in the midst of God's creation that way, to enjoy it, to experience the loveliness of his handiwork. It just is what God calls us to. Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. The synonym for what Paul is trying to get across here in this sixth description is same thing as saying whatever is of good report. Whatever is of good report. Whatever things in our life display God's character and love to others around us, to everyone, especially those things which make an impression on someone else, especially those who do not know the Lord, unbelievers. Things in our life that are of good report that the outsiders of the household of faith observe, see, and take note of in our life. Whatever is admirable of good report, that's what we're called to. Colossians 4, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Those outside of the church, we are called to go to them, to live our lives in a way that we make the most of those opportunities to live Christ out before them. Surrendering our thoughts, the sixth description, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. But as our thoughts are affected, and as we think about these things, it then is connected to how we then live. Paul reminds us clearly in verse 9, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. In other words, surrendering not only your thoughts, but now surrendering your life, your daily practices. Paul spent time with the Philippians, investing in them, seeing the church built from the ground up. And they had gleaned many valuable things in Paul's life, observing him and truths from him. And so when he says, whatever you have learned or received, 
What is Paul saying when he says, whatever you've learned or received, it's referring to the Philippians' instructions in the truth of the gospel that Paul had continuously taught them. In other words, whatever you've learned about truth and received about the truth of the gospel, this is what you've received from me. Whatever he says you've heard from me or seen in me, referring to the Philippians' observation in Paul's life, of what he taught them and gave them is what then he goes on to share. How Paul integrated the gospel into his own life daily and how they were called to do so. What does this teach us? What Paul says here in verse 9. It teaches us this. Choosing relationships that model how to walk and live in the gospel of grace is vital to growing spiritually. Choosing what relationships you have that will help you grow as a Christian. How many relationships can you think of in your life, significant relationships, where those that you're thinking of move you forward in your walk with the Lord, give you pro progress, give you encouragement, are themselves growing and leaning forward and moving towards Christ and moving towards the things that he's called in their life. And they're sharing those things with you and you share the things with them and they're praying for you and you're praying for them. You're receiving from them and they're receiving from you. And it's continuous daily experience of relationship and growing in grace. Do you have relationships like that? If you don't, it's time that you start. It's time that we do. We move with others around us. We receive truth and we give truth. We choose relationships that not only model how to walk, but they're living out the gospel in their life. Paul simply states in verse 9, whatever you've seen or heard or received in me, put it into practice. Our faith must be practiced. It must be real. It must be displayed before others. People need to be able to see your life and say, that's a Christian. They follow Jesus. I might not agree with them. I might not follow Jesus myself. But they do. And there's no doubt that they do. They have absolutely committed, given their heart over to who he is and what that relationship means for them. Can you be spoken of like that? I want to be spoken of like that wherever I go, wherever we go. James reminds us, chapter 1, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Faith in action. We spent months in the book of James living out what we receive Jesus himself said in John 14, if anyone who loves me, or anyone who loves me, Jesus said, will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So, we say we love Jesus. He says, obey my teaching. It's simple. We say we love Jesus. He says, Obey my teaching. Follow me. I have come to make what? My home with you. He's made his home in your very soul. He's with you every moment of every day. And so, he's, and so to obey or to follow his teaching, what he desires, 
it should be absolutely what would make a priority in our life, what has to be first and foremost. Obey his teaching. Follow him. Follow what he says. Follow what he desires. This summer, in the next few weeks, in the month of July, take some time after you've shot off your fireworks and had a wonderful barbecue. Take some time. Evaluate and assess where in the teachings of Jesus you right now are lacking. Where are you growing? But where also are you lacking? Where ha what has Jesus said in your relationship with him in the past or in the present that maybe you've just heard but put aside? What he's called you to but you've neglected. What he said and you know he said it but you've not yielded yourself to follow him. To not give faith feet to follow what he has said. Whatever area or areas of following Jesus that he reveals to you, this is the time to take. This season, this summer, this moment, right now, seize these days that you could take some time and assess where you are with the Lord. In other words, I'm going to go away for a few weeks. While I'm away, and I'm going to ask the Lord to reveal to me what I do each and every time I'm away, Lord, reveal to me what I need to be aware of in my own heart. I don't want to be the only one in this church doing that in July. I want you all to be doing that. What good is it for God's church for me to go away and come back and say, let me share with you what God has shown about my own sin, about my life, and what's going on with me? I need to be hearing it from you. If we're all doing that, then the power of God's Spirit grows exponentially, not just with me. I'm not called to carry this church on my shoulders. It's your church. It's our church. It is the body of Christ, not the body of glass. And we have got to be together. We have got to give ourselves to the Lord and ask Him where we need to understand His call. In our thinking, and in our living, surrendering ourselves to him. Because the greatest thing that can happen is that we surrender ourselves and we find his peace and his grace and his love in a way like we've never, we will ever find it before. That's what awaits is more grace and more love and more forgiveness. That's what awaits.